Ephesians and Philippians in the New Testament. And if you get to the Thessalonians or to the letters to Timothy, you've gone too far, turn back left. We'll be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Uh, Before I read, let's pray together that God would open up his word to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you have delivered your word to us, that you want to be understood, that you want your people to know you, and as we know you, to love you and to grow in maturity. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use your word for that very purpose this morning. God, would you open it up to us, that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we we found out this week that the terrible twos and traveling on Thanksgiving don't really combine very well. Um, Now, I realize we we haven't been at this parenting thing for very long, but without fail, so so far every Thanksgiving, a major event has happened. Weston got sick his very first Thanksgiving. William was born last Thanksgiving. And this Thanksgiving, both boys decided to be sick. Uh, kind of like right on the money, as soon as we were heading out of town, one's got, well, I won't go into all how they were sick, but uh, both of them were a joy to be around this weekend. And for Weston, it really came home last night. Now, I can share this illustration because he's only two. In ten years, I won't do this to him. But um, last night, after all of the traveling and all of the excitement of meeting people and all of the activity and the weird schedule, and the staying up later, and the weird sleeping arrangements, and all of that, uh, that all combined for a meltdown to end all meltdowns right before dinner time, um, where the slightest suggestion of anything caused him to flail about in the floor and scream at the top of his lungs. Uh, He was not a happy camper. We sat with mom for a little bit, then dad, uh, then I took him for a little bit, Then grandmother took him for a little bit, and then finally granddaddy took him for a little bit. And that was when he finally decided to settle down. Um, But we found out that being two and having your entire world thrown into disarray, usually those things don't go together very well. Uh, And Weston threw a temper tantrum. Now imagine if it was me that did that. I mean, we did endure all of the same things, right? I traveled with him. In fact, he got to nap in the car. I was driving, right? So I had the you know six-hour round trip to and from Chattanooga. Um, I got less sleep than he did. Um, I got I had to meet all the people and go through all of the activity, uh, the ups and downs of an iron bowl, right? I endured all of the things that Weston endured. But how would you look at me if I was the one flailing about on the floor? When dinner time came around and you asked me to do something I didn't do, want to do, I just threw myself in the floor and flung my arms out and started screaming and got so frustrated my face would turn red and you thought I was going to pass out. What, what would you say about me if that was my reaction to the different stresses of a Thanksgiving holiday? Well, one, you might think I was crazy. Uh, you probably would doubt my maturity, right? That's kind of an immature way 
to handle life. But Wesson's two, so he is immature, right? Uh, if a 31-year-old did that, we would say, okay, that's just immature, right? That's actually beyond immature, but at least it starts there, right? Maturity matters. Uh, we, we don't like being around. We don't like dealing with immature people, right? People who don't handle life well. In fact, we, we admire maturity. We go to people. We seek out advice from people who are mature. We admire and we respect people who are mature. At least I hope we do, right? People who can handle life well. People who approach life and can give wisdom and offer discernment. And that's the main goal of this letter, okay? And we said that the theme of this letter is Christ is an all-sufficient Savior and that Paul is writing for the maturity of the Colossians. Maturity was an issue. Most of them were new believers. In fact, probably all of them were new believers. This was a young church. And they needed to mature. They were under a lot of pressure from the people around them, from the community around them, to embrace certain religious ideas, certain experiences that would say, this is how you need to mature. This is how you need to grow up. And so Paul writes to them to ensure that they do know the right way. As we'll see as we go through the letter, there are lots of options, uh, lots of bad options for trying, uh, for, for trying to mature, right? In fact, as a parent, uh, if you have teenagers, you are desperate to make sure that they are listening to the right voices as far as their maturity is concerned and not listening to the wrong ones. So we acknowledge that there are right and wrong voices out there, that there are people who are lying about how to mature, and there are people who are telling the truth. And Paul wants the Colossians to know the truth. So what does maturity look like? How does it begin? Where is it going? We're going to look at all of those things as we look here at Paul's um, prayer. Okay, As we look at his prayer for the Colossians in verses 3 through 14, let me read it for you, and you can follow along in, in your Bibles. Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this hope you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, the good news, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, so it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of, of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience, with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, 
the forgiveness of sins. All right, now notice what Paul is doing, and it's fitting. Um, I didn't plan it this way, but this being the Sunday after Thanksgiving, Paul actually sandwiches his prayer in Thanksgiving. First, he begins by, by telling them that he's thanking God for what he has done in the past, right? And that's what we'll see first. Um, Jason, if you'll go up the, the previous slide. The first, the first point, right, is that Paul is looking backward. He's thanking God for what he has done in the lives of the Colossians. And then he moves into prayer, right, petition, requesting, asking God that he would continue his good work. And then he closes that out with more thanksgiving, actually prodding the Colossians to thank God for the redemption that is the foundation of their maturity. And that's the, the structure that will follow as we go. Um, but let's look at each part, all right? And real quick, notice this, that um, have, you, have you ever noticed when people pray that they usually begin or often begin with a time of thanksgiving, right? They thank God uh, for various blessings. Um, we call our time of prayer in the service prayer and praise. And Paul, in a lot of his letters, actually kind of... I don't know if he begins this biblical model, but you see him a lot of times. He actually begins his prayers with a time of thanksgiving by causing, by, by him looking backwards, but also causing the people he's writing to to look backwards to see what God has done before he moves into praying for what God will do. And this has a, a twofold effect, right? Uh, it, it both encourages the readers and it glorifies God, Okay? It encourages the readers by making them, by causing them to see what God is doing, how, how God is writing his story in their lives. Okay? He is he's causing them to look backwards, to reflect on what God has done. And that's an encouragement to them. Um, someone from the outside is coming in. Remember, they haven't met Paul before. And saying, look at all that God has done in you. Look at all that God has done through you. Paul's saying, I've heard about that. I've never even met you, and I've heard about that, and I thank God for it, and I thank God for you. But it also glorifies God, right? Because when God's people understand that He alone is trustworthy, and that He alone is to be trusted, that He alone is, is worthy as an object of our faith, He is glorified and worshiped. And so when God's people are able to look at God's past faithfulness, and worship Him, God is glorified. And that's why we come here every week. We come here to glorify God, and I hope that we come in with a spirit of looking back, of saying, look at all that God has done in me even this week. What has God done even this week? And that enables us to give thanks. And as we give thanks, we can seek more, right? We can seek more grace from God. So I just wanted to mention that very quickly. So what does, what does Paul give thanks for here? Look at, verse, uh, look at verse, verses 3 and 4. We always thank God, right? He's the author of this grace. He, it's the, he's the one that it comes from. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul says, I thank God for the faith you have in Christ 
for the love you have for each other and that faith and that, ho- that, faith and that love are rooted in hope. They are rooted in the hope of glory. And we talked a little bit about this week when we, uh, excuse me, we talked a little bit about this last week when we looked at Hebrews chapter 12 and, and I said that Christians are meant to be a people driven by a future hope. We are always a forward-looking people. We live by faith, knowing that this world is not our home, knowing that God has so much more in store for us, and that enables us to live freely. And so Paul mentions two things. He first mentions the vertical dimension of faith and the horizontal dimension of love. Okay, Both of those things spring out of hope. Both of those things spring out of the hope of glory. Um, I think this. I think this makes sense, right? This vertical dimension of our faith in Christ. If we if we know whom we belong to, if we know where He is taking us, then we are not afraid to trust. In fact, we will be freed up to be radically trusting and radically obedient. Our faith in Christ is strengthened by our hope. That was what we said last week when when. I mentioned all of the saints in Hebrews chapter 11. That all of those people, knowing that they did not have an, a home here, knowing that this earth provided nothing of lasting significance for them, were always forward-facing. We're always trusting God for His promises. And as a result, they lived by faith. And they were radically obedient. They faced suffering. They faced persecution. They did things that did not make rational sense to the world around them because they were living by faith in the future grace of God. That's the vertical dimension. But then horizontally, right, in our love for each other and even our love beyond the church, when we know that our hope is secure in Christ, when we know that He has loved us in such a way, well, then we no longer have to safeguard ourselves. We no longer have to protect ourselves from being injured by other people. We no longer have to hold our love in. Or, conversely, we don't have to use other people. We don't have to use the affections of others to make ourselves feel better. Rather, we can be loving, unconditionally loving like Christ has been. That's the kind of love that faith frees... Excuse me, that's the kind of love that hope frees up. When we know where we're going, when we know how Christ has loved us, securing, us for a hope in, securing, securing for us a hope in the future, we can love radically. I read this week uh, of a believer in Afghanistan who uh, he grew up a Muslim and was Muslim most of his life until he came into contact with some Christian volunteers, people who were helping him clean up some rubble at a, uh, at a bomb a bombed-out home near his apartment. And as he interacted with those, uh, those people, as he interacted with those Christians, he became curious. He said, there's something different about them. And he was able to get a Bible, and he was able to begin studying, and he became converted. But when he was publicly baptized, the Afghan government arrested him. Uh, his wife and eight children had no idea where he was. And he was tortured, and he was persecuted, he was pressured to renounce his faith, and even, it even came to the point where he was asking God, why? why? 
Why did you save me to do this? And God came to him and he comforted him so that when he was taunted by his fellow prisoners, when he was pressured and tortured by his captors, he was able to laugh. He was able to say, my Redeemer lives. I have a hope. He was able to persevere in faith because of the hope that he knew was laid up for him, was stored up for him. Or to bring it closer to home, when you know that you have a hope secured in the heavens, you can do crazy things like buy land in Chilton County and open up a foster home. Right? You can trust, you can listen to the call of God and abandon whatever life was to enter into ministry. To hold on to Christ by faith and to love other people. And to get it even on a more mundane level than that, when you know that your hope is secured in heaven, you can forgive the brother or sister next to you in the pew whom you've been holding a long time grudge against. You can forgive all of their sins, not because they deserve it, and you made them be right. Not because they deserve it, but because of what Christ has done for you. That is the kind of faith, that is the kind of love that a future hope frees up for the Christian. That's what Paul has heard about in the Colossians and what he thanks God for. Notice, too, that um, this hope comes from the gospel says in the latter part of verse 5 of this hope you have heard before in the word of truth the gospel which has come to you as it's come to the whole world and it's bearing fruit and growing in the whole world and it's bearing fruit and growing in you. Now don't miss that, that picture. It's a picture of life. It's a picture of a, of a healthy tree. Paul's saying that as the seeds of the gospel have gone out, as the gospel has been proclaimed All around the world, it has taken root, and it's growing, and it's bearing fruit, and that's what's happening in you. The gospel is living, and it's growing, and it's bearing fruit. And it's been bearing fruit from the first day they heard it from Epaphras, even to now, the fruits of faith and love and hope. And that's really the image of Christian maturity. It doesn't grow up overnight, it doesn't happen overnight, but it's cultivated like a tree, and it has to grow to maturity. And that's what the gospel is doing in them as they've heard it and as they've understood it. And that word understood is key, right? We're not talking about a purely emotional reaction. This isn't a warm, fuzzy feeling that God's love gives us. It's a hearing the word of truth, understanding it, being drawn to it, um, and being saved. That's not, it's not cut off from emotions, but it's not purely emotion. There is knowledge there, and there is emotion. Let me run quickly through the last two. That's what Paul is thanking God for. Now, what does he ask God for? More knowledge. He says, asking that you may be, verse 9, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This isn't simply knowing how to behave. This isn't simply 
knowing which decision to make, but it's an insight into who God is, an insight into God's redemptive, saving will that has been worked out in Jesus Christ, right? As we, as we come to know that God is a saving God, we understand who God is more, and as we understand who God is more, we grow in spiritual wisdom and discernment. And we'll talk more about how to do that at the end. But I want you to see very quickly in verse 10 that knowledge leads to holiness, right? Paul says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will so that you may walk or so that you may live in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. How does he describe that? And when Paul says fully pleasing to him, he's not asking for perfection, but he is stating this truth that those who are in Christ, can strive to please him. That holiness matters. That as we mature in the faith, as we come to know God's will more, we want to do his will more. Right? One of my, and he's not here this morning, so I can say it, but I won't give his name. I didn't ask his permission. But one of my favorite sayings that I've heard from one of you, um, when the old life comes up, when old sin comes up, when the old man comes up, uh, this brother says this. He says, I'm not a slave to that anymore. I'm not a slave to that anymore. What does he mean? He means that God, by his grace, has rescued me and so changed me that I no longer thirst and seek after sin, but I thirst and seek after God's righteousness. That's the change worked in us by grace so that we can live in a way that is pleasing to God. Holiness looks like bearing fruit in good works, which we had some time to spend there, Uh, growing in our knowledge of God, being strengthened by His might for endurance. We talked about that last week, and patience with joy. And then finally, holiness looks like giving thanks, and this is the last point, that we thank the Father for the redemption. We thank God for the redemption He has worked that makes growth possible. And this, is, this really isn't the end of Paul's prayer. He's about to launch into a much larger section where he talks about how great Jesus is. He talks about how excellent Jesus is. But he does it, he, he gets there by focusing um, the Colossians on their hope again. On, cause, on telling them to give thanks with all joy. And he says, notice, notice what he says. He says, you used to be under the power and authority of darkness, but now you have an inheritance in the light. And that's Old Testament language. Israel had an inheritance in the promised land. Not that they earned, but that God had given them after they were rescued from slavery in Egypt. That's our story, right? That that is a picture of what God has done for us. We have been rescued from slavery to sin to be brought into, to be made fit for an inheritance in the saints and the inheritance of the saints in light. How has that happened? It's happened by our redemption. We have been transplanted. We have been delivered by Jesus. Uh, Redemption, that word redemption, if you look down in verse 
13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, transplanted us, changed us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Right? You have, you have changed citizenship if you are in Christ. You no longer live in this kingdom. You no longer live, uh, you no longer have this passport. You have been given a new citizenship and a new passport because you are in Christ. And it is a passport that Christ has bought for you with his own blood. That word redemption was a word used uh, for a slave bought at market. Or an Old Testament law for somebody whose life was forfeit. And they had to pay a price to be redeemed. In fact, they they, they were going to die and someone else paid the price to redeem them. That is what happened for you at Calvary. That is why you have an inheritance in the saints in light. Because Jesus paid for it. Right? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a guilty stain. He washed it white as snow. We are transplanted from slavery to freedom by the precious blood of Christ. And we have the forgiveness of our sins. That is the bedrock of our maturity. That is the gospel truth that we must come back to again and again and again. That is what Paul wants the Colossians, and that's what Paul wants you and I to understand, right? Our redemption lies at the heart of our maturity. So, Jason, if you'll hit that next slide. If growth comes as we understand more of God and more of his gospel, how do we do that? Very practically, we study his word, which reveals his will. Right? If we want to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, then we have to go to the source of that knowledge. We have to go to the source of that will in his word. As we do that, we worship and we give thanks for how God has been at work in us. We're able to look back on the faith that God has worked, on the love that God has worked, on the hope that he has secured for us. And then we look forward. We're a forward-looking people. And we pray for spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Because if we are the Lord's, that is our desire. I've been reading a lot in John Piper's book, Future Grace. And Jake's testimony at prayer time brings out this truth wonderfully of how God, of how God preserves his people even in the midst of deep darkness. That even in the moment where you would want to give up, God brings that desire for the word and draws you into his word and causes you to mature through his word. Now, it's not that Jake was passive in that process. Jake had to go to the word. But he was drawn there by God. He was drawn there by the Holy Spirit. That's how we come to maturity. We have to come again and again. It's not a... It's, it's not an ever-increasing process. It's not a magical technique. It's not a certain program. We are meant to grow by the Word. We are meant to mature by the Gospel. Uh, and that is how we do it. We thank God that He has given us this gift by His grace that as He works, we work. And we will, the, the next time that we look in Colossians, we will see just how deep the gospel goes when we look at the beauty of Christ and what he has accomplished at Calvary. Let me close this in prayer.
Lord, we thank you for our blood-bought security. We thank you for our maturity and growth in the gospel. We thank you that you draw us to the word, and by the word you mature us. Father, would you help us to be a people who long for holiness, who long to be strengthened by your might, who thank you for your work in Christ, and Lord, who know you, who know your will and are filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. God, would you work those fruits in us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand again with us. 